0: Welcome to The Pen and the Yod. Join Rabbi Michael Siegel from On at Synagogue in Chicago and author Jonathan Igg as they talk about this week's Torah portion
1: of B'shalach, the long and winding road to freedom. Do you have much of a sense of direction?
0: Pretty good, I would say. You know, uh, it's gotten worse probably now that I rely more on GPS uh, ways and Google Maps, but yeah, usually I can find my way or have a rough idea how to get where I'm going if I don't have help.
1: I'm not too bad. I give myself a B. Okay. Well, let me ask you a second question, both of which I will answer as well for myself. Okay. Are you one of the people who take help from others and helping you when you appear to be a little bit lost? Or are you one of the people who kind of dig in and say, hey, I know, I know where we're going. I know, I I. I know exactly where we're going. Uh, have you been talking to Jen about this? Uh, yeah. I'm no, I haven't. I'm a little yeah. stubborn on that front. I, I think,
0: uh, I don't know, it seems like it's a stereotype that men don't like to ask for directions. And in that way, I, I probably fit into that stereotype. I prefer to, at least for a little while, try to figure it out on my own.
1: Well, I think that's in my case. I think that stereotype could actually be based on me. (laughs) Really, first of all, I'm terrible at directions, I can get lost anywhere. And uh, I'm as as much as I try, and I think I'm better than I used to be. I'm not very good about saying I don't know where I'm going, and uh, I need to to make more chuva on that one. That's for sure. But thank God for Waze and thank God for Google Maps because that little blue line has saved me many a time just following the map. Yeah, we don't get lost as much. And uh,
0: maybe we miss out on some adventures from getting lost, but uh, mostly we save ourselves a lot of hassle and save ourselves a lot of time.
1: I think that's true. I think using Waze or Google Maps probably lessens your awareness of your surroundings and how where you are in the midst of a larger neighborhood or where you are in the midst of of the map itself and uh, kind of lose track of it. And it's just we focus on just getting there without thinking about where we are along the way.
0: Yeah, and we lose the skill, too, because if the system ever goes down, we're all going to be driving in circles for a long time.
1: <laughs> it's true. Like me. Uh, <laughs> You're but but the I, way. I guess I'm in good company because when you open this week's toll reading, you immediately encounter this issue of directions. It starts this way, and we're reading from the portion of Ashalach, which is all about the splitting of the sea, but the beginning of the toll reading I think has a lot of really interesting things to say to us, especially if you're directionally challenged like me. It starts this way. Now, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines. Although it was nearer for God said the people may have a change of heart when they see war and return to Egypt. So God led the people roundabout by way of the wilderness at the Sea of Reeds. Amazing on ways, you know, there's that Moses must have been looking at that blue line taking him by the way of the Philistines and God saying, no, no, we're going to go this way. You know, it's a Moses, you know, must have said because he had ways. What are you doing? And here we have this idea that maybe, and this is, I think it's a more, a deeper idea, that maybe the road to freedom is more circuitous. Than we might have thought. It's
0: a really interesting idea. Of course, the seemingly logical thing would be to say, no, just get me to freedom, get me someplace safe as fast as possible. I've had enough of the struggle and strife, and I'm going to have doubts and I'm going to have problems anyway, right? There is no um, way this is going to be a, a quick and easy process. So let's just, let's just get to the safe place as fast as possible and i guess the question is is there something we have to go through first to really appreciate freedom do we have to take the long road to really prepare to be ready to appreciate freedom that's what i'm thinking about
1: well i and and maybe just to add to what you're saying maybe you have to create a situation where you can where you can't go back mm. and i think that's also this underlying thing you would think logically oh my god these people have been in slavery for hundreds of years God has visited the plagues on them. Egypt has been brought to its knees. God's taking them out of the land of Egypt. Who's even going to look back? And God says that the first hint of war, the first hint of danger, the first challenge along the way, these people may just turn around and say, we give up, we'll go back, we'll be your slaves, Pharaoh. They'll walk away from it. And I think that that says so much about human nature, freedom and fighting for change and then affecting that change and living that change and making changes in your own life, well, that's hard. That is hard to do. And I think the Torah is acknowledging that our God is saying it directly.
0: Yeah, so I guess, is this his way of preparing the people for uh, what's bound to be a long struggle, no matter which direction they go? Is this, uh, is this a
1: lesson being taught here? Maybe, or perhaps, God wants to get them out of Egypt far enough so that the lesson can be taught.
0: Right. So that they, they don't even think about going back. You know, it's interesting because what it seems to be saying in a way is that like, don't get your hopes up. You may not even get to experience this yourself. This conversation reminds me of uh, the Dr. King quote, the, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. And you know that always struck me as as profound, but also kind of sad. Like, the arc of the moral universe is so long that you might not even notice that it's bending toward justice. You just have to trust me that somewhere down the line for you, or maybe not you, but for your children or your grandchildren, yes, it's going to bend toward justice. And it's not even going to come all the way around a bit to justice. It's just going to bend. I don't know how much. It's a really interesting concept.
1: I'm almost wondering if this is the inverse of that. In other words, I think when Dr. King was talking about the arc of, ju- of moral justice, He's talking about the outside world fighting against change and fighting and putting stumbling blocks in front of people who are striving for change and, you know, maintaining a uh, kind of a racist uh, mode of government in the United States that keeps people down. But I think here you might also make the inv- a, a different argument, and this is the internal argument, that What happens in the hearts of those people who are struggling for freedom? Are they willing to take the step or are they willing to say, you know, let's just be happy with what we have. Let's just get along here. Let's not do that. And I think that Dr. King, since we're talking about Dr. King now, I think he understood that, too. There were plenty of people who didn't who didn't want to do that, who didn't want to take, take the risk, take the step, go forward and I think that's part of the story, too. Where's the will of the people?
0: Yeah, right. Because I think what he's saying in a way is that the, the arc bends, but you can help shape it. You can make it bend harder and faster. I think he would say that it's dependent on on action, that you don't just wait for the arc to bend toward justice. You have to move it. You have to shape that road um, to get back to, um, to, to, to the Torah and to, to God's Route, you know, you've got to march on that road and you've got to
1: um, keep going forward. So perhaps it, the Torah is saying that thinking about freedom is one thing, acting to free yourself is another. And that is a learned response. It's not, doesn't come naturally to us, right? Maybe, maybe what comes more naturally to us is to succumb, is to kind of stay with what we have. And what the people of Israel are learning step by step is what it means to be free and gaining the confidence to, I guess, to come back to the arc of history, to manage your own destiny, to help shape that arc.
0: Yeah, right. That's so interesting that this is going to be a journey. And it's going to be a long journey and it's going to be an arduous journey. God's not just wrapping it up with a bow and presenting it.
1: And we have to grow as a process. But here's my question then. What do we need? I'm talking about the individual now to make the journey. I think faith to a certain extent, a desire for freedom. But what I want to suggest is that we also have to have a sense of ourselves, a sense of our own history, a sense of our own worth, a sense of our own place in the universe. In other words, it's not just finding the place on the map that we're going, but we have to also find our existential place on the map as well. And I want to Underscore this because the next thing that the Torah says is that the Israelites went up and Moses took with him the bones of Joseph. Why does the Torah have to tell us this at this moment? Because Joseph was a person who believed in the covenant, he never saw it actually come to fruition. But they took his bones with him, that that we are standing on the shoulders of people who came before us, people who believed, people who wanted to go forward. It's an important idea.
0: What strikes me about what you're saying, and I never thought about why they're taking the bones of Joseph, you know, it's easy for us to imagine, oh, yes, I deserve to be free. Of course, I'm as good as anyone else. Of course, you know, we're God's chosen people. But we also have to remember, I guess, that what slavery might do to a person's um, sense of self-worth and their confidence, even their sense of deserving to be free and deserving the privileges so there might be you know, some very complex psychology going on here where certainly God appreciates and Moses is beginning to appreciate that people need some time and need to have their confidence restored.
1: I like what you're saying very much. And I guess I would want to build on it a little bit because if you think about it, what do we do in response to the story of the going out from Egypt? We have a Passover Seder. We ritualize this. And if you think about the Passover Seder, then what we're doing is we are reenacting going out from Egypt, but we are reminding ourselves that we're deserving of this freedom. Right, and we're
0: sort of embracing the humility, or trying to recapture some of that humility that you know when we were vulnerable, when we when we weren't
1: sure. We try to really um, relive that in a way. I think we relive it, and we actually say Chayav <laughs> Adam. A person should see themselves as if they were physically taken out of Egypt. I have a Haggadah at home that was created by this incredible artist by the name of David Moss. When you come to that point in the Seder where you say that we should see ourselves as if we went out from Egypt, there are two pages and you have artistic renderings of Jews throughout history wearing different costumes, right, from different periods, right, all the way to the present day. But in between each of those pictures is a mirror. So you you look at it, you see yourself. It's as if we are required to see ourselves. So we see ourselves as part of this history of people going out from Egypt. We're part of that people that God split the sea for. We're part of that people that God fed Manitou in the, in the wilderness. We are worthy of this freedom and therefore we will fight for it. I think the Passover Seder has had a remarkable impact on our self understanding, our sense of self worth and our ability to believe that we are worthy of freedom. Yeah, that's really really cool.
0: Um, it strikes me that the um, the people who were leaving Egypt didn't have that benefit. They couldn't look forward in that mirror and see that we were going to enjoy centuries of of freedom and that we were going to get stronger and stronger. Um, and what they all they had to rely on was God. That they that they had to believe that God had chosen them for this journey, and they had to believe that at least in God's eyes they were equal and, and that they weren't meant to be slaves. And and that took a great leap of courage.
1: And I think that at the pinnacle of this week's portion, we begin by kind of being misdirected when we, when we go out from Egypt. But at the end of the portion, the people witness the splitting of the sea and they break out into a song, right? That's kind of song of freedom, right? The Shirat hayam, the song of the sea. And I think that that song, the fact is, is that in the prayer book, That song is sung every morning. We quote that entire passage. And I think that that, again, impresses the notion that God freed us then, God will free us now. And so you have that sense of history that, you know, the bones of Joseph and Moses' generation, but the history of a people that has survived and goes forward. And here we are to this very day singing that song.
0: And it's still a long journey that we have to have confidence and faith to uh, to embark
1: on I guess the uh, that moral arc is still waiting for us to bend. Thank you, Jonathan. <laughs>